This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. This morning's reading um, of God's Word from the Old Testament comes from Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 22. That is Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Our reading of God's word from the New Testament and our passage for the sermon, if you would turn there with me, is Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Good morning. Uh, thrilled to be with you this morning as we continue our study in, in Hebrews. And as we zero in on this specific text, it's just a reminder of the importance uh, and the gift of salvation that we have been granted. So let's take a moment and just ask the Lord to open our eyes and prepare our hearts, shall we? God, as we come here in this place, your sanctuary, your house, as we gather under your word, We ask you, Lord, to speak to us. And Lord, we pray that we would be given ears to hear and soft hearts to receive and that, Lord, our affections would change. The things that 
draw us so easily away from you in the world would become less tempting, less desirous, and that you would be our chief joy. Lord, as we pray this now, we recognize that we have brothers and sisters in this room and extended to us even through, um, through technology that are watching right now that are struggling. God, we know that the struggle is real. There's physical ailments that can oftentimes play on our emotions and wear us out. There's emotional struggles, things that seem overwhelming and crushing. There's spiritual struggles, bondage to things that we know we need to give up and reallocating our priorities. So God, we pray that you would use this hour to fix our eyes on the only hope we truly have, on Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would minister to each person as we gather in this place, that we would be warmed by your word, that we would be filled by the truth of who you are and all that you've done. And God, as we pray each and every week, we pray that we would be changed, that we would be less like the world and more like Christ. God, I pray for my mouth that it would be used for you and your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't say anything more nor less than you give me to say, but God, that I would be faithful to your word. I pray this this morning on behalf of your people to our Father in heaven who hears us because of the work of Christ as the Holy Spirit speaks even those words we know not to pray. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, the book of Hebrews is a wonderful book in the sense of redirecting you. The book of Hebrews is interesting because it, right out of the gate, slaps you with the supremacy and importance of Christ. But particularly in chapter 2, it's almost as though the writer pauses and wants to settle us down to examine ourselves, to check our own hearts. In this second chapter, just the first four verses, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with the seriousness of sin in regards to neglecting that great salvation. Let me say that again. The seriousness of sin and neglecting that great salvation. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to focus on. When we see neglect, it rightly bothers us. No matter if it's a historic building that's dilapidated and falling apart, or an old house that just needs repainting and maybe some, some finer things just done to it to bring it up to date, or even if it's our neighbor's garden that just seems growing out of control, neglect bothers us. But how much more does it bother us when that neglect is seen in a person or more specifically, a child that is being neglected. Our blood pressure goes up. We begin to get concerned. But see, that's the problem with neglect. There is no concern. With neglect, there is no attention. It's carelessness. The truth is, a child or even an elderly person, for that matter, could be well-fed and well-clothed and still be neglected. We have to understand that. 
See, to really avoid neglect requires more than simply meeting outward needs. Let me say that again. To avoid neglect requires more than simply meeting outward needs. It requires intentional inward care. Intentional inward care. Neglect causes lasting wounds, doesn't it? Wounds that aren't always easily visible. There's a church planter in Scotland. His name's Mez McConnell, and he wrote a book about his own journey. But in that book about his testimony and God's provision in his life, he talks about the neglect, the abuse he underwent. The lasting scars in his life because of that abuse, because of that neglect. But what's important here in Hebrews is that neglect can actually take place not simply in outward things, but neglect actually stems from the heart. This call that we're given to take serious the neglect of salvation is one of five solemn warnings in this book. It's the first. And what's interesting about it is the writer actually includes himself in the warning. Notice what he says. We. We. He's including himself in the warning. He's saying, hey, pastors and and church folk, we need to be careful. We need to be careful of the neglect. Here's why. Just because one looks well-fed or well-dressed, spiritually speaking, That doesn't mean that they're not neglecting such a great salvation. There can be those who know and quote scripture. Those who discuss and actually debate theology. Those who look to be living a pious life outwardly, yet who still have a hard heart and are neglecting the great salvation found in Christ. That's what the writer of Hebrews is concerned with. See, the writer of Hebrews is calling such a community of faith back to Jesus. This was a wandering community. A one who was beginning to prefer Old Testament sacrifices in place of the great salvation of Jesus Christ. These were the individuals who were wandering off into the worship of angels rather than worshiping God's own Son. See, the point is, it's easy for us to drift away. It's easy for us to drift away, to let our eyes drift from Christ onto other things, even spiritual things or religious things that begin to capture us, but apart from Christ. The danger of that, the warning of that, is what the writer of Hebrews stops everything to discuss. And friends, I'm here to tell you there is a real danger in drifting away. Hear me say that this morning. I'm saying that to each soul here, there is a real danger in drifting away. Drifting is what happens in churches as they begin to care more about other things, anything, than they do care about Christ. It can be service projects. It can be fellowship groups. It can be 
a greater concern to read good theological books. But somehow Christ is absent. The gospel is absent. It's made to be more important than Jesus. You say, is that possible? Yes. That's to whom the writer of Hebrews is concerned. See, the writer of Hebrews is pointing out there's a real danger of drifting for those who've been blessed with solid teaching. He's warning that there is a, there is a danger of drifting for those who've been given and granted a great Christian heritage. He's warning the church, be careful. Don't neglect this great salvation. See, we've seen it all through Scripture. We've seen the wanderings of Old Testament Israel. They wandered from God and chose to worship other things than the living and true God. Even when Moses went up the mountain to receive the commandments, there they were worshiping a golden calf. How often they would be found worshiping the gods of the people in the world rather than the living and true God. We see it in John's letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The wandering coldness of hearts. But even in our own experiences, we've recently experienced it in the liberalism of the mainline denominations. Great heritage, great past, rich theology, great confessions. But somehow they've wandered. And the truth is, church, even today we're beginning to see it in evangelicalism. As churches and groups are wandering from the gospel. They're wandering from Christ. As your pastor, let's be clear here. Where does this start? How does this happen? Many want to blame the seminaries. And sure, seminaries are at fault. They train pastors. Many want to blame the other leaders, the, those who are in an authority. Sure, there's responsibility there. But understand this. The writer of Hebrews is saying that it begins in the pew. The drifting begins in the pew. The neglect begins in the pew. It begins with those who regularly attend worship services, with those who've been entrusted with the rich Christian heritage from their parents and their grandparents. It begins in the community that slowly drifts from the superiority of Christ and exchanging it for the superiority of other things. These individuals are not hostile to Christianity, are they? No. In fact, if interviewed, many of them would say, I love Christianity. I go to church every week. Many may even say, I read my Bible regularly. But understand this. It begins by neglecting Christ. It begins by neglecting Christ. He is no longer number one in their life. Other things have begun to take center stage. They no longer listen to the preaching that they're sitting under as one who's hungry for Christ. And they no longer read the scriptures, even though they're reading, they're not looking for Christ and the hope that he provides. They no longer pray as one trusting in Christ alone. No, for them, other things have slid in and have slowly captured their affections moving them further and further as they drift downstream away from Christ. 
That's the warning. That's the writer of Hebrews warning to this covenant community. And he says, be on guard. See, the writers of Hebrew here, his point is clear. His point is simple. He's making it clear that this is dangerous. There is a dangerous consequence for sin, for drifting. But he also offers a, a hope of encouragement as he reminds that in this dangerous consequence, there is a salvation that's been provided. Look at verse 2. He says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to verse 3 to say, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Do you see what he's doing? He's putting side by side the old covenant versus the new, the old testament, the old ways versus the new that's found in Christ. And as he does that, he says, let's be clear. The law, the law that was given by angels, the law that's found in the Old Testament. And many of you for a moment have been saying, when do the angels give the law? Deuteronomy 33 verse 15 speaks of it. In Acts chapter 7 verse 53, we're told that you who receive the law is delivered by angels. The angels seem to accompany the messenger, the intermediaries of like guys like Moses who presented the law to the people. It's this picture of, of worshiping other things or letting things slip and letting the law go un, un, unfulfilled that ultimately there was punishment for. Punishment, just retribution, it says in verse 2. Just. Hear that, church. Just. We live in a world of injustice. It's all around us. We get used to injustice, but with God, he is perfectly just. No one will escape. We all will be responsible for the things that we have left undone. Those things that we were supposed to do that we didn't do. Those things that we were not to do that we did do. We will be each be held accountable. There will be just retribution for failing the law. To make it clear, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you. Trepidation should fill our hearts as we hear these words that none will escape. We all will stand before a holy God. Isn't that the point? God takes sin seriously because God is holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And yet what's amazing, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we're told that the law that we're given through that law comes the knowledge of sin. We know what we're supposed to do. But we don't do it. But even in the midst of that, that cry of just retribution is a promise of salvation. 
That's exactly what happened for Timothy. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says, how from your childhood, your, your spiritual heritage, you're sitting since the womb under the word of God. How many of us in this place can say that was our experience? We've been blessed with that heritage. From our childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Notice what Paul says here. Which are able to make you wise for salvation. The special revelation, yes, tells us the law of God. It tells us the seriousness of sin. It tells us the just retribution that awaits. But even from that same special revelation is given the promise of salvation as found in Jesus Christ. See, here's the point. If God takes the breaking of the law serious, hear me, church, how much more serious will he take the ignoring of his deliverance through salvation? Think about it. God gave the law. God gave the law to direct how we're to live. God says, I am holy. You shall be holy. You're my people. You're to look and have family resemblance. And when you don't, just retribution comes. And he didn't even take out of the beginning pages of of Genesis for Adam and Eve, our ancestors fall, and therefore sin enters the world, and we're all now prone to sin, prone to wander, prone to neglect. And yet God speaks and promises salvation. He offers a way of hope. If he was going to punish sin, how much more will he punish the negligence of neglecting salvation that he has provided. See, as we sit here, as we think about the blessing of growing up or sitting in the church and hearing the word of God preached, we need to examine our own hearts and ask, do I truly understand the blessing of salvation, the gift of Christ? And if so, how am I responding to that gift? How am I responding to that blessing that God has provided in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Is Christ truly number one? That's the question. That's what the writer of Hebrews would have us be concerned with. Does the orbit of our life rotate around the S-O-N as it should? Or do we Ask Jesus to orbit around something else for us. The writer of Hebrews, in these four short verses, draws to our attention that there is a demanding proof of this salvation. Not only is it dangerous, but there is a demanding proof of this salvation. See, he's saying assurances by which we all will be held accountable. That's his point. There's assurances by which we all will be held accountable. And this has stirred the writer of Hebrews to say to that coveted community, wake up! We may ask, well, what are those assurances? I mean, after all, we live in a world of false claims, don't we? We have our own tagline, fake news. We're used to looking at the world and saying, that ain't true. That's not right. Never have we been so, I don't know, non-believing as we are as a community now, as we are right now. 
Fake news is ever around us. We see the empty promises of politicians. And for those of us that watch TV and watch those stupid infomercials, we see the empty promises of those bad gadgets that tell us just for $19.99 your whole life can be changed. False promises. We laugh. We mock. But here's what the writer of Hebrews would say. You need to know this. The salvation of God is not a false claim. The salvation of God is not a false claim. It is truth. It is a truth that has, in fact, been proven. Look what he says at the end of verse 3. It has been declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard He goes on to verse 4, he says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. There's proof. There's assurances. You will be held accountable. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. This isn't a joke. What are you doing with Christ? See, the writer would have us say the salvation of Christ has been confirmed. It was first confirmed by Christ who came. Or I should say, of course, confirmed by the Christ who came. The opening word of our whole text in verse 1 actually starts with the word therefore. Back in Bible college, they taught us a deep theological secret. You ready for it? Anytime a sentence starts with therefore, ask what it's there for. And as you do, you go back to the rest of chapter 1 and you realize that because of the superiority of Christ, therefore we're to pay closer attention to what we've heard. What we've already heard. The writer of Hebrews is just saying, just take to account what I've already told you about Jesus. Also take into account all that the scriptures declare regarding Jesus. See, salvation was first promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's known as the first gospel. It's a message of the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. All through the Old Testament, they're looking for this one, this one they call the Messiah, who will bring them out of slavery, who will bring them out of bondage, who will bring hope, who will repair their lives. And so they look. All through the Old Testament, they look. And finally, in the New Testament, he arrives. And understand this, church. He arrives by a celebration of singing angels at his birth. He arrives by a celebration of singing angels at his birth. And if that weren't enough, his father declared him to be his beloved son in whom he was well-pleased. At his baptism. And the Father does that yet again at the Mount of Transfiguration. And even just before the crucifixion, the Father talks about the Son being full of glory. And if that were not enough, Jesus was proved to be the victorious one at his resurrection where he rose from the dead after three days. And if that were not enough, We're told that Jesus, there with his disciples, before he ascends, assures them of his power and his rule. 
Do we believe? It's been confirmed. And so I ask you this morning, if it's bad to break God's law, how much more worse is it to neglect the proven salvation of Christ? This one who is greater than Moses. This one who is truly the living word of God. Dr. David Williams, he says it well when he captures all of this in just a brief sentence or two. He says, the coming of Christ does not lessen but heighten the serious call to hear God's word. The coming of Christ doesn't lessen but heighten the seriousness of the call to hear God's word. The coming of Christ is what makes the salvation such a great salvation. Because he's come. It's been delivered. You've been set free. Look what the writer opens with in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard. But understand, these proofs weren't all there were. There were the proofs and the eyewitnesses of the, the signs and wonders that Jesus performed. Everywhere Jesus went, his fame followed him. He was known as the miracle worker. In Mark chapter 1, verse 27, it says, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Do you know that even his enemies couldn't deny his miracles? The things Jesus did, like the casting out of demons, the raising of Lazarus, the healing of the blind, the healing of the lepers, even his critics couldn't stop the message. All these miracles proved ultimately who he was. John chapter 10, verse 25, the second half says, The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. They tell you who I am and, and what I've come to do. But you know what the greatest proof is? The empty tomb. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says this, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, get this, by His resurrection from the dead. Let me repeat that. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. His resurrection is the proof. The Apostle Paul picks up on this. Speaking to people who weren't there, who didn't see it, even though that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, Paul writes this, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But he goes on to say, but if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep is what he is. The question is, do you believe? See, all of these proofs are given so that you would know and trust Jesus. Know who he is and what he came to do, his work. And it's interesting, the Holy Spirit, his work is to magnify Jesus. The Holy Spirit who's here present with us right now as we preach the word, as he accompanies the preached word, his job is to magnify Jesus, to lift Jesus up. 
Hear Jesus' own words about the Holy Spirit. He says in John 16, 14, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. He will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Do you know what the only unforgivable sin is? Blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean simply taking the Holy Spirit's name in vain. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is rejecting his work. Rejecting his work of magnifying Christ. It's rejecting the gospel. It's the only unforgivable sin. It's serious. And the Holy Spirit has been given to magnify Christ. And all the works of the apostles after him all pointed back to the finished and completed work of Jesus. But I ask you, as these proofs affirm the good news of Jesus, are you clinging to the great salvation he provides? The way you truly know if you're clinging is, he's, is he number one in your life? Is he truly your greatest joy? Do you hunger and thirst to, to have quiet time and to be with him in his, in his presence, in prayer, and in the word? And you, you can't look more forward to Sunday than you already do because you just want to hear the word preached. You just want to grow and flourish in him. Those are signs of one who loves Christ. But let's be honest, all of us, that's not us. Not all the time. We struggle. We struggle. We miss the point that there is a decisive act which Christ accomplished in our salvation. See, because here's the point. If, if somebody were to give me a kidney because I needed a kidney, that person would never buy another meal all the days of my life. I would be so thankful for the fact that they gave me a kidney. I'd want to honor them in every which way. But for most of us who hear these things and we affirm these things, the question is, has it really changed the way we worship Jesus? Is it maybe because we really don't believe it was a decisive act, a real life-changing event? See, Jesus not only announced salvation as a prophet, he purchased it as the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You hear that? Jesus didn't just come talking about salvation. Jesus actually is our salvation. Jesus entered the world so that he could die for sinners such as us. Jesus gave himself for sinners. In church, to neglect him is the greatest offense one could ever commit. How can anything be more valuable than Jesus, more precious than Christ. Can sports or TV or money, are these things more valuable to you? Do you reorient your life for those things rather than letting Christ be the center of your orbit? Church, you need to know all those things will pass away, but Christ and his salvation is eternal. It is a dangerous thing to neglect Christ, to neglect this great salvation which he has purchased by his very own blood. Church, hear me this morning. Jesus entered space and time. God himself took on human flesh for what purpose? To go to a cross, to bleed his blood for us. It is a serious crime to sin against Christ.
to neglect Christ. For his blood was shed. The writer of Hebrews points this out in Hebrews 9, verse 14, when he says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who then the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? He's celebrating the work in the, in the blood of Christ. And he goes on in verse 22, For without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. Jesus' gift is his own blood for you. But what does that mean to you? How has that really transformed your life and changed the way you worship? Let me get really personal for a moment. Are you neglecting the very means of grace God has provided? Are you neglecting His Word? Are you neglecting the sacraments? If you can make it, you make it. If not, if not. Are you neglecting prayer? Again, maybe you're doing all those things, but is Christ the center of all those things? You read the word to look for Christ. You you pray because your assurance is in Christ. You, you, You come to celebrate the sacraments because you know that ultimately we're feasting on Christ's spiritual presence here with us to make us stronger. Christ, 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 give me more of Christ. Is that your cry? I draw you back to verse 1. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Why? Lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away. Here's the command we must. It's a necessity. We must give attention. We must remain on course to what we hear, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, lest we drift. The idea there is the slipping away between your fingers. Christ slipping away between your fingers. You were so close. You were in the covenant community. You celebrated the baptisms. You read the word. You you attended fellowship groups. But you were never truly a worshiper of Christ. There is no greater sin. To whom much is given, much is expected. That's what the writer of Hebrews would have us know. So I ask you, are you embracing the great salvation which was purchased by the blood of Christ? Has it transformed your life? Remember, friends, there is no more real danger than drifting away. This is what happens as we begin to compare, care more about other things than we do about Jesus. It begins in the covenant community as we slowly drift from the superiority of Christ to the superiority of other things. My prayer as your pastor is that your hearts, your lives would be fixed on Jesus. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for my family. That our hearts and our lives would be fixed on Jesus exactly what the writer of Hebrews prays for the people. That's what he's calling the people to. Listen to what he writes in Hebrews 12. Some 10 chapters later, he's still on this theme. Listen to what he writes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all that we've read, all that we've witnessed, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily and close to us. 
Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice the encouragement to run, be faithful, stay on course. But he continues in verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand on the throne of God. Church, don't neglect such a great salvation. This weekend, I had the opportunity to spend time with 31 of our widows in our church. We sat at a a restaurant, and we, we ate together, and I listened to stories of some of the women sharing about how they came to Christ. Many of them grew up in church, but all of a sudden it clicked. I was playing a game. I wasn't really following Jesus. All I'm asking you this morning is, could that be you? Could that be your story? You've been given a great heritage. You've been sitting under preaching. You go to Bible class. You join on the fellowship groups. You do the service projects. But could it be that you're missing Christ? Our prayer is that your eyes would be fixed on Jesus. That you would never neglect such a great salvation. A salvation that's found in him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, your word, the testimony and the proof and the assurances of all that has been accomplished, Lord, may our ears hear that. May our lives be impacted by the good news of Jesus. May our hearts be warmed that he would be the center of our universe. God, I pray for those who are here struggling with life, that they hear this message and they look at me with sad eyes and say, but pastor, it's too hard. It's too hard to give up sin. It's too hard to battle my emotional battles. It's too hard to deal with my physical ailments. God, give them relief. Give them strength. Help their eyes to be fixed on Christ where the power comes from. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. 